Um, this is a cool uh, message. I want to talk, uh, we're tracking through John. I better put the, the money away so I don't trip over it. Um, we're going through John's Gospel and, and I want to, I'm hoping that as we go through you'll see why it's so cool to read the Bible and what's in the Bible and how the Bible comes alive. And the more you begin to question and the more you begin to search how it came to be and who it was that's writing, the more you see the depth and the integrity of this, this book that's a miracle in itself. And uh, John has been, as I said right at the beginning, John is a guy who was the youngest probably who followed Jesus. Uh, he ran away in fear at times. Uh, he was uh, the one that probably lived the longest. He ended up in exile in Patmos and then he went somewhere else. I, I can't remember. He certainly went to Ephesus. But he, he probably died a natural death and he wrote his gospel after Matthew, Mark and Luke. So he knew that Matthew and Mark and Luke existed and he wanted to write a sort of meaningful interpretation of Jesus' life um, after maybe 30 or 40 years of reflecting on it and also watching the birth of the Christian church, which actually was really the Jewish church uh, coming, uh, having found the Messiah. It, it took a while for the Christians to become a different group and that kind of evolved. Um, and you have him talking about these miraculous works of Jesus. And at the end of his book, if you look at the end of John's Gospel, he says, and Jesus did so many more things, it would take libraries to fill them. And when you read that, you begin to go, so why did you put in the stories you did? Because there were obviously stories you didn't put in. And uh, therefore, it's, it matters what's in that book, and it matters why they're there. And uh, you see in John, uh, Jesus beginning to do his miraculous signs. We spent a week talking about his going to this wedding in Cana where he just happened to be an, a guest and he turns water into wine. And then he uh, heals a, a centu- a, an official son who, who is dead and, and he's, or he's very sick and he apparently dies and Jesus doesn't even go to his house. He just said, gives the word and he's healed. He meets the woman at Samaria and he meets Nicodemus and he speaks to them about things they couldn't understand uh, that Nicodemus saying, how can this be? That uh, I see that you're, you're, you're special because of the things you do. But I can't wrap my head around it from my background steeped in Jewish theology. And the woman at the well has got none of that. She's steeped in sleeping with men. And Jesus says to her, the man you're with is not your husband. And nothing in his demeanor causes her to just buckle in shame. Actually, the revelation that he knows her and still accepts her changes her life. And she runs back to Samaria and says, come and see a man that has told me everything I've ever done. A revelation of God's goodness in him. Amazing. And so in these first four chapters, you have this Jesus just spilling out into the countryside and touching people and people being amazed and more and more people being healed. And then in the fifth chapter, which we're looking at this morning, in the fifth chapter, Jesus... uh, is, is coming to the temple and he comes to this pool of Bethesda. And uh, it's the beginning of change happening. Because what happens when Jesus comes to the pool of Bethesda next to the temple and he heals this man? It's the first time in John that you start getting the black backlash beginning. And then in chapter 9 and chapter 11, when Jesus heals a blind man and when he raises Lazarus from the dead, there's this progression where Jesus is... Uh, he he heals the blind man and then he heals. Uh, there's that battle over he, his closest friends where Mary and Martha said, why didn't you come when we called you? It's all in there. 
And eventually he raises Lazarus from the dead. But the first two, the blind man and uh, this healing that we're talking about today, were done on the Sabbath. It really offended people, the religious people. And so you begin to get the murmurings that would eventually lead to his crucifixion. And that's what's sort of written, it's a subplot, it's written between the lines, but it's really important. Because God works in the midst of life, and the way God works and the, in the, 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 the freedom that God has to work sometimes begins to land upon the response that he gets. Because, you know, we want very often to, to have God do everything, and he doesn't do everything. He offers and he invites and he builds relationship. And then depending on our response will depend on what happens. It's called relationship. Religion is when I do things and God hopefully is pleased with me and then I'm proud of the things I do. And performance religion is not what Jesus is about at all. In fact, the closer you come to Jesus, the more you'll realize you need help. Because I cannot live up to who he is. And so he comes and says, well, I'll lead you, follow me. It's good news. Religion is awful. So when we go to India and we go into a Hindu culture and they talk about uh, reincarnation and they talk about uh, however you work, however you live on this earth will determine what happens next time, enables them to rationalize why they shouldn't care about the poor because you get what you deserve. Re reincarnation is a great philosophical concept for those studying it's not a cool thing to live. And the people we are going to be amongst are the people who are called uh, the untouchables. They're, they're untouchables. They're not unt they're the... What are they? They're unclean. They're, they're untouchables. Yes, they, they are actually. They're the ones who are the lowest of the low. And about 15 to 20 years ago, they began to begin to get some political freedom. The women weren't even allowed outside for, for a long, long time. They did everything that nobody else would do. And there are millions of them. And they live in absolute poverty um, and have nothing. That's why we have to cover all the costs of our trip. Um, and so, the, you, you know, you, and, and you walk among them and they're just people. They're wonderful people. They're gentle people. They're hungry people. That's why we'll get 2,000 people coming out to a crusade. It's not because we're the draw card. We, <laughs> Give me a break. It's just because they're hungry and something's happening. But they've never heard about Jesus. Never heard about a God who loves. They've only heard about gods who demand and have to be sacrificed to. So Jesus is very good news to all people everywhere. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. He was still part of that Jewish faith. And there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, that actually exists. I went to, when I was in Israel 15 years ago, whenever it was, you go to, towards the Sheep Gate, or one of the gates, I can't remember, and you look down and you can see where it's ex ex excavated. It was, it's only been excavated for about 30 years. But there are five columns and the pool is there. And... Uh, here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So all the broken people who had been sick for a long time were gathered around that pool. And Jesus went there, which is interesting. He, he went there. And one was there that had been an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time. 
And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition, Jesus learned that he had been in this condition. This is encouraging for us because sometimes we think, oh, you know, we need words of knowledge. You don't. Jesus talked to people and said, what's wrong? The words of knowledge are part of ministry, but a large part of ministry is just talking to people. God will show you. And so he talked to the people around him and came up with this one and said, uh, what's wrong with you? And so then, then he has this conversation with him. And he, Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. I have no one to help me. Jesus didn't say, well, now you do. You have someone to help you. God has come in me to help you. Who would have thought? At this pool, with all these disabled people, God has come. He singled you out. And he's asking you a question. Do you want to get well? God comes to wherever we are to take us to be where we could never be without him. And God comes as a searching God, as a personal God, as a person who on the outside looks ordinary. That's why pay attention to the people God has in your life. Sometimes we're always looking for the big figure, but it might not be. God might be speaking to you and reaching out to you through a very ordinary person that you just think nothing special would come out of. And he says, watch and see. Extraordinary things can happen through ordinary people. And some people would say, well, you know, Jesus came and he eventually healed this man. What about all the other disabled people? I mean, how unfair that he just comes and heals one and then walks off. Remember what Jesus was doing. Jesus was walking this earth, doing what he could in the capacity of human limitations. That's why he said, when you follow me, you will do greater things than I will do. What Jesus did was what was possible for one person filled with God's Spirit to accomplish. He could, of course, let everybody be healed. But then we couldn't follow that. And the other thing he was doing, he was opening up the way for all human beings to be able to enter into what he was demonstrating. That unity with God, oneness with God, openness with God, God living in us would enable us to become just like Jesus in terms of the power and the presence of his spirit, healing people. So in one sense, he says, I'm coming to this pool. I'm healing this man. I've got other things to do. In a few years' time, I want you guys to come back filled with my spirit and do the rest. He's still saying that to us. We often sort of say, it's not fair. He didn't do it all. He wasn't meaning to do it all. He was going to share it with us. What the church has done is gone to the pool with all the disabled people and it's given them sandwiches. And said, we'll minister to you till you're, till you're dead. Because we don't have any power because we've actually jettisoned that part. Our theology is we don't like that. Do you know what killed Jesus on the cross? It was the supernatural signs and wonders and his statement, I am the Son of God. Jesus would be killed in Canada. Because he says, I, I'm not pluralist. I'm not one of many options. I am. And he, will be, he would be imprisoned and killed in Canada today, I bet you. Because in a pluralistic culture, you want everything to be equal. I totally agree with the freedom for everybody to be able to do whatever they want to do. I think that's the wonderful gift in Canada. But not everything is equal. 
And the reason Jesus went to the cross and the reason he was killed and he raised such anger was because these religious people couldn't stand what they both heard and then they saw and they couldn't do it themselves. So you could have in John, while he's writing about this pool next to the temple and there's all these disabled people around, you could have from John, because he thinks like this, he could be saying this pool with all these disabled people around is just like the temple. The potential is huge, but the ministry, nobody gets healed. And the man, when Jesus said to him, "Why do you want to get healed? Said, but nobody takes me to this pool because when the water stirs, he was subject to his own superstition. The angels weren't stirring the water. There are, fu- there are springs under that, that whole area and they surge every now and again. They cause the water to surge. But the superstition had become the imprisonment. This is what I believe. That's exactly the same thing that happened with Jesus. The superstition and the religious mindset of the religious leaders said you can't do this on the Sabbath and so they wanted to kill Jesus. Their minds had got so locked up in, 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 a, in a certain form that they couldn't break out of it and celebrate. This man had been invalid for 38 years and when he was healed they couldn't rejoice because a rule had been broken. How lame is that? How sick is that? How sad is that? But in our churches we do that. People will walk out if you talk about healing. People will walk out. We are offended by so many things that bring life. Aren't we? Are you? Are you? This passage today is actually about dealing with change. It's a very cool passage about Jesus coming to people and he comes to this invalid and he comes to you and me. I mean, if he comes to us as we started in the Psalms, when we are sinners, when we are broken, when we are screwed up, when we don't even want to know him, if he comes to us then and calls us, how much more does he keep on coming and saying, I didn't raise you to walk so that you don't walk with me. I actually gave you life so that you could have life with me. There's much more beyond that. And so for all of us, one of the hallmarks of God in us is a, is a relentless hunger that just says there's more. There's got to be more. So this pool has got all these disabled people. I mean, it's not a pretty picture, is it? All these disabled, cri- crippled and blind people. And they're gathered around this pool. And he's been meeting there for years. What's happened here? What do you think's happened? I think you have a picture of many, many areas of our lives. I've learned to live with my disability. I actually have a whole bunch of friends and we talk about our disability all day long and all night long. We actually have people who feel sorry for us so they bring us food every day. We know each other, we know each other really well. We actually really have great conversations about how we didn't get to the water when it stirred. It's the fellowship of the disabled. And when man comes up and says, what's wrong? And he says, well, this is what's wrong. And he, he, out of the nowhere, he says, do you want to get well? I get terrified. Why would you get terrified? I'm going to have to leave my friends. I'm going to have to work. They're not going to feel sorry for me anymore. I'm going to have to take responsibility for myself. I haven't taken responsibility for myself for 38 years. That makes sense. It's a big, big change. Do you want to get well? Well, 
Hey, I didn't see you back there. This is the lady with the kidney who's been healed. Nice to see you, Ali. I didn't even see you. I would have acknowledged you. She's the one who donated a kidney. Praise God for her. And Steve for do it, for allowing it as well. No, it just it's cool. It's a great witness. But nice to see you. And she and 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 they were they were stuck there because change is hard sometimes. That's we heard a testimony today, didn't we? Put a rope around you and let God pull you somewhere. Why? Because I don't want to go. I'm genuine about, you know, I will enjoy my time in India. I'm going to love these guys. But there's a part of me that goes, ah, I don't really want to. So one of the things I do is I do, don't do the, cha- the, the, the uh, rope. I just book the flight. And then I'm stuck with it. And then I tell you and then I'm stuck with it. And I encourage you, you know, if you wait until you feel like being stretched, you will never be stretched. If you wait till you feel like being pulled into places you would rather not be, you will never. But guess what? You know what's going to happen. We'll come back and we'll have stories. But you can't have the stories if you don't go and you can't come back if you don't go. You know, it's just the way it is. It's called life. And Jesus went out and he went to this pool and he met this guy and he calls him up. And the man is very, very reluctant. I wanted to show you a video. Somebody sent me a video this week. And they didn't know what I was speaking on. It was about a man in Australia with crushed vertebrae. And what? guess what? I actually only saw this today because I was reviewing it. But now it's not working. So maybe show it while I'm gone if it gets to work again. He had crushed vertebrae in his back. These guys are doing ministry out in the street, you know, all the embarrassing stuff. And they meet this guy and they say to him, you know, Jesus heals and he says, I don't believe in that. I've already you know, tried that stuff. I've, I've been in this condition for 38 years, believe it or not. Somebody sent it to me this week. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. I'm talking about a guy who's been stuck for 38 years. And they said, well, anyway, we just believe that God loves you and he wants to heal you. Lay hands on his back. Just say something simple like, Jesus, we just speak your love over him and by your stripes he is healed. And we just break anything over here and we speak healing. And the guy goes, eh, nothing's happening. And say, well, if something happens, come back. Two minutes later, he walks off and then he comes back and he says, my, my back's tingling. And there's videos of this kid, you know, guy in his 40s or 50s bending up and down and saying, Jesus, heal me. And he's swearing at the same time. He says, I can disco dance again. And it's all totally politically incorrect. You know, it's embarrassing. Like, don't say that. Jesus just healed him. You're swearing and F words and things. And, and they blank it all out so that we Christians won't be offended by real world. I mean, it's just, you know, we, we, might, we might just lose our faith and, and, and get upset by the words he's used and miss the healing, you know. Hey, we're all cut from the same cloth. We get offended by the most ridiculous things. Self-righteous and all the rest. And so, Jesus did that for this guy. And, and let's just uh, get back to my notes. So one of the words God's saying to you today and to me is, where are you feeling helpless? Where are you feeling like I've tried and nothing's ever changed? Well, he's coming back today and saying, well, I'm still here. And then he says to him, get up, pick your mat and walk. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. Sounds similar to the guy who was uh, let down through the, the... the roof, you remember that? He was paralyzed and his friends brought him to, and they couldn't get in so they had to persevere. They went up and broke open the roof. How offensive is that? God says you shall not ruin your neighbor's property and they go, this guy's dying, we're trying to get to Jesus. 
Listen to the legalism and listen to the oughts and the shoulds and the shouldn'ts that happen in your your conversation. Say, what's more important right now? We will fix his roof. Don't take that to a ridiculous extreme, whatever that is, but just, he needs to get to Jesus. So they lower him down. Jesus says, "Uh, your your sins are forgiven. They take offense by that. And he says, what is easier? Then he says, take up your mat and walk. The beggar who was blind... He, he, he shouts out to Jesus and, the, and all the people around him, all the disciples, all the Christians. They're not called Christians yet. They don't know what a Christian is. They don't even know Jesus is going to die on a cross for them yet. The blind man says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And, and they say, Shh, he's busy. Strutting their stuff. We're one of them, but you're not. And he's busy. And Jesus stops. It must have been hilarious. I think the life of Brian might be more accurate than... All the other things, you know. I mean, there's an element of, Jesus says, bring him to me. And then you go, oh, it's your lucky day. Change like that on a dime. Throw a haughty and, oh, Jesus wants to see you. What he does, he, the blind man throws his cloak off, if you read it. The cloak and the mat resemble what I've depended upon in my affliction. And when Jesus comes and he says, do you want to get well? And the guy is kind of saying, maybe 80%. Or 50, let's give it, let's be kind, because I'm not trying to be cynical. 50%, I'm, I'm, I'm as scared as hell. And 50%, of course I do. And Jesus just goes right into him and says, okay, get up and walk. Pick up your mat and walk. Picking up your mat means it's not going to be there anymore. That's not where you live anymore. You pick up your mat, you get up, and you walk. I wonder how many times you know, we're always saying, Jesus, we want more, we want more, we want more. And I keep on hearing God say, so do I. You can have all of me, but I need some of you. So get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Picking up your mat means it's all or nothing. If you're trying to give up drugs, then get rid of your drugs. If you're trying to deal with an attitude, start getting rid of that attitude. Do something that makes a symbolic or a definite action of saying, I'm not coming back here. What happens to that man? And what I'm saying that, and that's why we talk about calling up faith in one another. That's why we say, what are you going to do now? That's why we talk about, so where are you going to go now? It's because God will do so much and then we have to step into what he's done and what he's offering and then the next thing will come. That's how the promised land is taken. Every step you take, I will give you. You don't take any steps, you won't get anything. If you're just looking for feelings, that's all you'll have. You'll have, oh, I felt the warmth of God on me for two hours after the service and then it went away. Oh, I guess I'm not healed. Step into it. Step into it. Step into it. Jesus, if you can do it for two hours, you can do it for two days. If you can do it for two days, you can do it for a lifetime. So what do I do? I'm not healed? No. How can I stay healed? God, what's happening that I'm getting pulled back? That's sometimes when you need counsel. That's when we need one another. You need to talk with each other. We need to walk with each other. Jesus said, get up and walk. What was he really saying? I'll walk alongside you or somebody will walk alongside you. It's very difficult to walk alongside people who will not walk. One of the things that's hard in ministry is to learn how to let people go. And say, you know, the door's open, we'll walk with you. But you've got to walk, otherwise there's no way to go. And so Jesus, the man who was healed had no idea who it was who healed him, for Jesus slipped away into the crowd. 
I think Jesus really was not about, here I am, I'm the great healer. It was actually a, probably a pain to him. It was probably like, just, I, I don't want that. And so he had to keep on hiding because he needed to gather himself. He needed to have time himself. And then you have this interesting thing. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Why do you think he went to the Jewish leaders and made him to, to tell them that it was Jesus? They'd asked him. Because his whole life has been an ingratiating attitude of pleasing people or begging. What do you think he was doing in the temple? It's highly likely that he was in the temple now begging on two feet. And Jesus said, see, you have been made whole. And he was challenging the man because he had been made whole, but he was still living out of a disability mentality. And he said, see, see that you do not carry on doing this, otherwise something will you. Something greater will happen. He wasn't threatening him. He was just saying, you have to step into what you've just been given. What can you do to help the process that God has you on? The journey that God has you on? And that's what ministry is about, is calling up people to step into the next thing God has for them. To take hold of that which he's healing them for. Christianity is not about just having dreams, having nice feelings and worship. It's about walking in faith, in life, day by day. And seeing the miraculous unfold around you at the same time, you're still stepping in and stepping in. and step. Does that make sense? Yeah. So some of you. Some of you, you just want a warm, fuzzy feeling for the rest of your life. Well, get an electric blanket. Because not, it's not going to be something else. Some of us are whining to God all the time. Why doesn't this happen? He's, I, what question will he be asking you? Because you see, this, this is symbolic. This is a kind of metaphor for life. Where in your life have you settled and said, this will always be with me and nothing will ever change? And God comes to you this morning with all the love in the world and he stands right in front of you and he says, do you want to get better? Do you want to be free? Do you want to move into another place? What do you say to him? And you look around you at all the familiar things that you have, wa- you have built around you to compensate for your pain or for your anger or for your disability. And you look around and you look at all the meetings you go to. You look at all the things that you do. And I challenge you, I bet you, for all of us, there are things where we go, I'm safer here than I would be if I took a risk over there. That disabled man is us in all kinds of ways. And Jesus is about wooing us and saying, I invite you to step into a greater adventure than settle for the one that you've got now. But it's going to be a little uncomfortable at times. It's going to be a bit challenging at times. It's going to be, sometimes you're going to stand up and you're going to get a partial healing and then you're going to live out of your disability, so you need your mindset to be changed. Does that make sense? How do I take hold of something? Because I don't believe it. I don't think I'm capable of that. Because I've lost a lot of ground. I've been crippled for 38 years. And he goes, what I have for you is amazing if you'll just trust and risk. That's the good news of Jesus. 
The good news of Jesus is he calls us into places we would never have dreamed we would go to on our own. And we couldn't go to on our own. There we go. It's all done. I was quite impressed with people when they sort of do this. And they look around and everybody thinks they're being spiritual. What's God doing? Bluffing like crazy. Going, oh shoot, now what? No, I said earlier what I, I believe God wants to do is actually encourage us. But I, I, I just want to encourage you to hear, um, you know, when you have a child who learns to walk, you don't sit down and tell them, Johnny, we're now going to walk, you're going to fall a lot, and uh, it's going to be quite miserable, you're probably going to cry, and uh, it might take a few weeks. It's, but it's a game. And because the parent, I'm talking about a healthy functioning parent, is there, you hold them up and then you drop them around. You get them used to standing upright and then they actually begin to let go and that's how they do things. Well, it's the model for how everything works with Jesus. All he is really saying is, give me your hands. All he's saying is, you want to go for a walk? All he's saying is, I'll take you to places you never thought you'd be. Or he's saying, aren't you tired of these surroundings? Aren't you tired of this conversation? I mean, you could, you've had this conversation, and between these friends of yours who are just enablers, you're having this conversation, and it could be anybody, not just addiction. I mean, we have our allies. We call it sympathy and compassion, and I feel sorry for you, and I need to rescue you. And There are people who need rescuing, and there are others who love to rescue, and they all just get messed up, don't we? And God comes in and starts saying, by my power, I will do things that you cannot do. So, what's he talking to you about this morning? Because he is talking to you. He loves you way too much to leave you at the pool. What's he talking to you about? What's he inviting you into? What kind of change might he be saying? Do you want some change? You're going to have to pick up your mat. You're going to have to... Stop doing that or make a decision. Like I said about, I'll book the flight to India and now I've got to go. What, what, what do you need to book the flight for for you? It's the same as picking up your mat. You, you maybe have to talk to somebody or, or declare it amongst the friends. I'm going to give up smoking. That's just an easy example. So this is what I'm going to do. I mean, I feel the same way about fasting. You know, If I declare we're fasting, then I'm held to it, but I hate it. Some people love it. Oh, good. Look, we fast. I don't get that. But I need to fast. Not really. Diet is another word for it. But we all have our areas that we kind of go, ah, not sure about that. But I want to ask God this morning and Jesus this morning to say, Father, we want to live life much more uh, like an adventure than a punishment. That what Jesus calls us into is an adventure. We're already living in punishment. It's self-inflicted. We already have our superstitions about life, which is symbolized in that pool. The angels come and I can't get there. And God says, no, they don't actually. I come and you can get here. Let's stand. And Father, I just pray for revelation right now uh, for your presence among us. Thank you that you come to us. Thank you that there's not one person standing here right now that you're not standing with. Nobody. And you see where we live and you see what we trust in and you see how we fabricate our lives. 
And there's some things about us that you're saying, will you risk letting me come to where you are and taking you from that place? What is a condition or a situation that you have learned to accept that if you were able to hear God could set you free from it, you would go, that would be amazing. But I, I can't even believe it. And that's okay, actually, because God still loves you and he still will work. You only need the mustard seed of faith. So standing up and being here is more than a mustard seed. So you qualify for good things. So just tell Jesus about whatever it is that he's raising up in you. I don't need words of knowledge. Um, I don't need words of knowledge. You've, You've got them yourself. And if you don't have anything specific, then just give him permission. Lord, what is it that might be hindering you? Because I know there's always more, so that's not a negative statement. But Father, I just pray for revelation for people right now that they would hear your voice. And there's no condemnation. I speak silence to condemnation in Jesus' name. And I just call up the voice of Jesus in you. What's the next step for you? What's the next adventure? What's the thing that he wants to set you free from? And where do you resist and where are you scared? Because if you tell him, he'll help you with it. And Father, I speak specifically over conditions that have lasted for over 30 years. And I just break the curses of those conditions in the name of Jesus. I break them in the name of Jesus. Sickness, struggles that are personal, addictions that never leave, In the name of Jesus, we break those because we have authority in his name. And in faith, I encourage you to rise up and walk and say, I'm going to step into something that I don't even believe is possible. I can't belabor enough how my standing here today was so totally foreign to where I thought I'd ever be. You've heard that a lot, but I'm just saying to you, it's real. I was like that man at the pool. I said, I'm done. I'll never walk again. I will never do ministry again. I will never definitely be back in Port Alberni. I'm saying that really seriously and really deeply. And God sort of went, well, it kind of doesn't fit in with what I have. And I just encourage you. Father, I pray that you just give to each one here faith to believe. Faith to believe. Receive in the name of Jesus. He loves you. He actually delights in you and he really gets you. And he desires more than you desire for your children. Life and freedom and adventure. Where you get to do things in his name and you see people changed and he goes, you see what I can do in you? I have no favorites. The people who prayed over that man who was with crushed uh, backbone in Australia, they were Christians for eight months. Their whole way of doing things was a little awkward. They said all the wrong things at times, but the one thing they had was the love of Jesus in their hearts and in their hands. And God, that's all God needs. He just needs loaves and fish. So, Father, I, I, I pray that excitement will rise up in us right now. Excitement to believe that there's more for us. We're not stuck in a pool somewhere with no future. We're actually being invited into a whole new future. So I want to just, as I'm preparing for communion, you give thanks to God. Just thank him for what he's doing in you. Thank him for what he's saying to you right now. 
And if you can't get anything specific, then just thank him that he loves you and he's working with you. Don't stress over. It's a promise that comes from his word. What can I do for you? Do you want to get well? Do you want to move on? Do you want to have an exciting life? Do you want to do things you never dreamt you would do?